To all who are thirsty, come and drink. To all who are weary, come and find rest. To all who are weak, come and find strength. And to all who sin, come and find mercy from a willing Savior. Happy New Year. I'm Jamie. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll be reading from verse 1 all the way down to verse 10. And then I'll pray, asking for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll get to work. Should be 45 minutes or so. Quick correction in the bulletin. Um, I've been informed that the bulletin says that uh, um, one of the members here, Jim Bryan, lost his daughter and uh, her uh, her ceremony, the funeral ceremony, is, um, it's, the bulletin says it is at Troy Baptist, but in reality, it will be at First Baptist. Is that right, Jim? Okay. It'll be at First Baptist for those of you who would like to attend. Luke chapter 19, I'm going to read verse 1 down to 10, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get started here. Luke chapter 19, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we bow ourselves before you now, and we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we might understand what it is that we read. In this precious and much-loved passage, teach us. More than anything, Lord, give us eyes that we would see the glories of the Lord Jesus so that we might, like Zacchaeus, rejoice in him, who is our Savior. Amen. Luke 19.10 might be the central verse of all of the gospel of Luke. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And this tells us as much about him and his personhood as it does about his mission. Jesus is 
literally days away from entering into Jerusalem where he will offer his body as a sacrifice for sin. And in this verse, Jesus is alluding to Ezekiel chapter 34. There's a 600-year-old prophecy in Ezekiel which God accuses Israel's leaders, their shepherds, their spiritual overseers of misusing their authority, accuses them of neglecting to care for the weak and for the sick and for the injured and for those who have strayed away. He charges the shepherds of Israel with being harsh and domineering. And on account of these shepherds, God's people have been scattered. And then God explains in Ezekiel 34 what he is going to do. He says this, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them. I will feed them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured. So when Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost, he's channeling Ezekiel 34 saying, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I am God. I am the shepherd of the sheep. I will seek out those who have strayed those sons and daughters of Abraham. Well, the crowd didn't understand this. And so when they saw Jesus doing that very thing to Zacchaeus, they grumbled. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we find ourselves in the rather uncomfortable resemblance with the crowd on that day. We find ourselves within the sad fraternity of those who grumble over God's acceptance of sinners, those dirty outsiders, those who've made mess of their lives. Our Savior often seeks out those that we snub. Our Lord often turns towards those that we turn away from. Our Lord pursues the indecent, the unkempt, the backwards, the disruptive, the difficult. And when the Lord builds His church, these are the stones that He often uses. And suddenly we find ourselves... Surrounded by those undesirables. And the face of our church changes. It's no longer clean and quiet and cool. It's loud and it's messy. It's disorganized. It's in need of repair. And so then we, like our Israelite grandfathers and grandmothers, complain to our leaders as they did to Moses and Aaron as we grumble. This isn't the church I wanted. It's full of sinners. Well, they'll just take in anyone, won't they? And how quickly we forget that we were once those undesirables. We were once the unkempt and the indecent. And so from a passage like this one, we can learn this. That as those who have received the Lord's unmerited and unsolicited and unexpected salvation, we 
ought to leverage our whole lives for His glory in seeking the lost. As those who have received the Lord's unmerited, unsolicited, unexpected salvation, we ought to leverage our whole lives for His glory and join Him in seeking the lost. This passage shows us a couple of glorious things about the Lord Jesus that I would like to share with you today. First, how God's salvation comes. How God's salvation comes. And secondly, what God's salvation produces. What God's salvation produces. First, how God's salvation comes. We'll see this, I trust, in verses 1 to 7. So let's read that again. How God's salvation comes. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was a little fellow. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, we've been out of the Gospel of Luke for just a couple of weeks, and so let me take a moment to bring you up to speed. The Gospel of Luke was written by a man called Luke who wrote it to give certainty concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we're in the final days, in chapter 19, we're in the final days of the Lord's earthly ministry. He's healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's proclaimed the good news to the poor. He's done all of those things. And Luke tells us now that he's headed toward Jerusalem. He's passing through the city of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He's about 17 miles away or so, a day or two's journey. Jer Jericho was a beautiful city. One historian called it the Eden of Palestine, a fairyland of the old world. Herod the Great had a winter home there. It sat along a major Roman trade route, and many rich people called it home. And there, in the last days of the Lord's ministry, Luke chooses to tell us the story, the conversion story, of a man called Zacchaeus. It is a story that is, as you know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, it's much loved by children and short people like me. Because even us, we can get in. <laughs> uh, but Luke is the only person of the four gospel writers to include this story. And you wonder, why here? Why now? For those of you who know how the gospels are written, they're not chronological. They don't have to be. Sometimes events were kind of plucked in here and there for thematic reasons. And so Luke puts this here. And the question is, why? Why this story? Why here? Well, if you've been with us in the gospel of Luke, you'll notice some features of this story which we have come to love in our study in the Gospel of Luke. There is a universal call of the Gospel to any and to all. There is the work of God towards sinners. There is the human response to God's mercy, and there is joy in salvation. So this little story gives us a wonderful insight to how God saves. And we're 
We're introduced to the story through a man called Zacchaeus. We're told that he is a chief tax collector and that he's rich. We're also told that he's small in stature. He's short. In those days, he would have probably been under five foot tall. Zacchaeus is the only chief tax collector in the Bible. The only one mentioned. Now, we've talked about chief, we've talked about tax collectors before, but never chief tax collectors. Back in chapter 18, I tried to describe tax collectors in modern terms. I asked you to imagine Hamas takes over America and allows Americans to continue to live and, and to worship however they please so long as they pay taxes to Hamas. And all of the accountants in America are American citizens who work for Hamas. So your accountant is your IRS agent who works for a foreign government which has taken over your country and taken away your rights. And by the way, your accountant isn't paid by Hamas. Instead, he makes his money by overcharging you and skimming off the top. And this makes him very rich. Zacchaeus is not that man. Zacchaeus is that man's boss. And that makes him worse. I like to think of him as Gilbert Humph, the boss in Disney's The Incredibles. Have you seen The Incredibles? He's that short in condescending jerk who's the boss of Mr. Incredible, the insurance company. He's, that's Zacchaeus. He's a rich guy who works in the top floor of an office of an insurance company that fights with you about your coverage. This rich, tight-fisted old sinner. That's Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is seeking to see who Jesus is. Probably he had heard about Jesus. I mean, Jesus had just healed a man who was blind. So he probably heard about Jesus and just wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because he's a little fella and there's a crowd. Oh, but he's a resourceful little fella and if not, maybe a little undignified. And so Luke says that he runs ahead to go climb him up in a tr sycamore tree. New Testament uh, Jericho had these villas and parks, and in those parks they would have sycamore trees, and sycamore trees are a uh, fig tree of sorts with leaves that look like a mulberry. They might grow up to 30 or 40 foot tall. They're the kinds of trees that my kids love because of these big branches that are close to the ground that make it really easy to climb up into, which is what Zacchaeus does. But let's not let the, our familiarity with this beloved story uh, keep us from seeing the strangeness of this story. There's a lot of peculiarities in this story. For example, an adult in the first century did not run. Now, I know some of you, Glenn included, like to run for fun. Okay? Even if nothing's chasing you, you still run. But that's a rather modern thing. Back in the old days, they still had sense. And they ran only when something was chasing them or in battle. They didn't run for fun. Children did that. And so to see a fully grown man, especially an established wealthy man like Zacchaeus, running would have been a rather strange thing. But the strangest thing is that that same wealthy, established man in an honor culture climbed into a tree in a tunic. <laughs> so there is, a, shall we say, some 
uh, mechanical complexity to climbing in a tree in a tunic, right? I mean, imagine looking up into a tree and seeing a man in a tunic. Actually, don't imagine that. This is a strange scene. You have a rich man of some notoriety hanging from a tree seeking to see Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible says Jesus came to that place. You see, Zacchaeus thought that he was seeking Jesus, but here we learn that it was Jesus who was seeking him. It's a strange, it's even a silly picture that Jesus Christ, God the Son, looking up into a tree where there is a fully grown man, a rich man hanging from the branches, peering down at him. And the Lord says, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus knew his name. But of course he did. Jesus made Zacchaeus. Jesus gave Zacchaeus his life. He formed his inward parts. Jesus wrote every one of his days in a book before Zacchaeus lived any one of them. Zacchaeus thought that he might catch a glimpse of this famous miracle man, but little did he know that through the lattice of the sycamore branches, he would come face to face with God himself the creator and sustainer of the universe, the object of the worship of angels. And God commanded Zacchaeus to come down. And he invites himself over to his house. Now, this is also a strangeness. This is breaking social convention to invite yourself over to someone's house, especially in the first century. It's even that way today when we, don't, we aren't governed by so many social conventions. To invite, especially a stranger, inviting themselves over to someone's house is rather rude. Most especially if you're not alone. I mean, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. And by I, of course, I mean me and 12 other hungry men, along with probably some women and a whole, every, actually everybody. We're all coming over. Another peculiarity of the story is what the Lord meant when he said, I must stay at your house. I must. That's not a throwaway word. The Lord uses the word must several times in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, when he was a child, he said, I must be in my father's house. In describing his ministry in chapter 4, he says, I must preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He spoke of his suffering in chapters 9 and 17 by saying, I must suffer many things and be rejected. Again, chapter 13 and 24, I must die in Jerusalem at the hand of sinful men. And then in chapter 22, Scripture must be fulfilled by me. And then here, and then here, I must stay at your house. Jesus staying at Zacchaeus' house is a divine necessity. Well, what made it a must? What does Luke want his readers to see about the character of Christ in this story? Well, Luke wants us to see how God's salvation comes. The old English preacher Charles Simeon explained this passage helpfully in saying that it shows us that God's salvation is three things, unmerited, unsolicited and unexpected, that is unmerited, unsolicited, and unexpected. 
God's salvation is unmerited. I mean, what did Zacchaeus do to deserve the Lord's attention, let alone his favor? The Lord very well might have come to Jerusalem some other way, but he chose to come through Jericho. It was a must. Well, one of the reasons was probably the blind beggar in chapter 18, but certainly another reason is the short man in chapter 19. Now, Zacchaeus was a thief. He's not like a Bonnie and Clyde, Jesse James, stick him up kind of thief. He's a white-collar thief, like Bernie Madoff or Enron. Zacchaeus was hated by his own countrymen, and for good reason. So they looked down on him, literally, figuratively. Jesus sought him, the worst and the least, because God's salvation is unmerited. This passage tells us also, and if you're willing to accept it, that God's salvation is unsolicited. The Lord's seeking of Zacchaeus teaches us that God's salvation is unsolicited. Zacchaeus didn't throw himself at Jesus' feet and beg for mercy. He didn't cry out like the blind beggar. He climbed a tree, and Jesus came to him, and Jesus called to him, and Jesus commanded him to come down. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' house. Sinners are like Lazarus, dead in the trespasses in sin, dead in the grave, until Christ comes to the tomb and says, come forth. And then the Spirit of God enables them to stand up and to come to Christ. The Lord's seeking of Zacchaeus was unmerited and unsolicited. And from verse 7, we see it was unexpected. When the crowd saw Jesus had become a guest of this chief tax collector, this sinner, they grumbled. First century Judaism was much of a meritocracy. So a, a holy man would never defile himself by being the guest in fellowshiping with sinners. And so here was Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah of God. And what was he doing in the home of a sinner? Which is another surprise in this story. Because this didn't fit into their worldview. It didn't fit into their religious system. Zacchaeus did not deserve Jesus' presence, his kindness. He did not deserve mercy or grace. Well, what did Zacchaeus deserve but God's judgment for all the things that he had done, for all of the people that he had wronged and defrauded? And the the crowd was right about that, by the way. That's what Zacchaeus deserved. But you see, what what the crowd failed to understand was that no one deserves mercy. No one deserves grace. No one deserves that Jesus would come to them while they're hanging in their proverbial sycamore tree, everyone deserves that God would just pass them by, that God would turn his back on them. After all, that's what they did to him. The crowd did not see that they were no better than Zacchaeus. They didn't see that, well, everywhere Jesus is a guest, he's the guest of a sinner. 
And it is the very nature of grace that it is unmerited. It is the very nature of mercy. And no matter who you are or what you've done, Christ is sufficient to save. No one is called to change their lives and then Jesus will come to them. He comes to them while they're strung out on self-indulgence. And he stoops down to them and calls them to himself. That's how God's salvation comes. Next we see what God's salvation produces. What God's salvation produces. And we'll see that it produces change. Let's pick up reading verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now how different Zacchaeus' response to Jesus than that from the previous chapter of the rich ruler. If you were with us then, you remember that Jesus called the rich ruler to let go of his riches and to give it to the poor and then come follow him. And Luke says that the rich ruler went away sad because he was very rich. He loved his possessions more than the person of Christ. But Zacchaeus, he doesn't even have to be told. A changed heart results in a changed life. He says, half of my goods I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, it's fourfold restored. Zacchaeus goes beyond the law of God. In God's law, Leviticus 6 says that if you steal from someone, if you um, defraud someone, you are to restore what you stole plus 20%. But Zacchaeus says, it's 400% for me. I'll restore it fourfold. And so Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come, past tense, it had come. Zacchaeus is not saved because he gave away his goods and restored what was stolen. His generosity was the evidence of God's salvation, not the basis of God's salvation. Salvation had come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, now Jesus' statement connecting Zacchaeus to Abraham is an important point. Abraham is called the father of the faith. It is said that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God by believing in God, believing in the promises of God and in the goodness of God. Now, most people in that day believed that salvation belonged to Israelites by virtue of their descent from Abraham. However, one could cut themselves off from that inheritance by doing something terrible, like being a tax collector. But Jesus affirms Zacchaeus. Notice to whom he says these things in verse 9. He's saying this to Zacchaeus. He's saying, by receiving me, you prove that you are truly a son of Abraham. 
a recipient of the blessing of God to Abraham. And then we come to verse 10. The central theme of Luke's gospel, that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite term for himself, his favorite title, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And what did lost people do to deserve God sending Jesus to seek and save them? Nothing. They just got lost. It reminds us of what Jonathan Edwards said, is that you've contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Jesus was sent to seek out the lost sheep of Israel, the sons and daughters of Abraham who had been lost in sin and scattered across the hillside in search of sustenance, which this world would never provide. Christian, this was the state of your life before Jesus saved you. You were a lost sheep, scattered in the countryside, lost, searching for security, for green pastures, and the world offered you nothing. It was a wild goose chase without a goose. But praise the Lord, He did not leave you there. He sought you. How does that old hymn go? He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. There's good theology in some of those old hymns. Jesus sought you while you were like Zacchaeus, small in stature, perched atop your proverbial sycamore tree trying to get ahead in life. And He came to your Jericho and He found you. He sought you. He saved you. You were His before the foundation of the world. So my non-Christian friend, I'm glad you came to church today. The story of Zacchaeus could be your story. Jesus Christ has come to you today in the pages of Holy Scripture. Jesus Christ is calling to you in the same way he called to Zacchaeus in the tree. And Jesus Christ is calling you to come down and to come to him and for him to become a part of your life. Friend, would you do what you've heard our brother say that he did? Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today, and you will be granted the gift of eternal life. As those who have received the unmerited, unsolicited, and unexpected salvation of God, we have been given the privilege to leverage our lives for God's glory and to join him in seeking the lost. And so we'll conclude our time together considering four things that this passage teaches us that God's salvation produces. Four things that this passage teaches us that God's salvation produces. produces. And we'll just quickly first. The salvation of God produces obedience. Jesus told Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And guess what he did? He hurried and came down. The salvation of God produces obedience. It's not conditioned upon obedience. It produces it. Obedience to God is the fruit of the salvation of God. So that's first. Secondly, 
God's salvation produces joy. Notice that Zacchaeus received Jesus into his home joyfully. We talked about joy just a couple of weeks ago. That God's salvation produces joy in God's people. In fact, one place in the Bible says that it's the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, the thing that we use to do the very work of God. It's like joy is the fuel of the Christian obedience. I don't know if you knew that or not, Christian, but you are fueled by joy. That's how central joy is to your life. I don't know how many times I have to tell it until we just believe it, that joy is not peripheral to the Christian life. It is central to the Christian life. Your enjoyment of God is about as important a thing as anything else. Because it is your enjoyment of God which will enable you to fight against temptation and sin and the devil. God's salvation produces joy. Third, God's salvation produces a changed life. A changed life. So the effect of God's grace upon Zacchaeus' life was that Zacchaeus changed his life. Well, this is what the gospel does. It changes us, and it keeps unchanging us. What did Paul say? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. This is what we see in the example of our brother Zacchaeus. Rather than defrauding his countrymen as he did before, he became a blessing to them. He wanted his happiness in God to be diffused through his life and through his generosity. It's almost as if Zacchaeus couldn't sleep until he had paid restitution to those that he had wronged. When you have received the Lord's unmerited and unsolicited and unexpected salvation, that's what you do. You don't do this because you're paying God back for the wrong that you've done. But having your heart transformed by the gospel, you will want to be restored and reconciled to those that you have injured by your sin. The Bible says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And I know, as a pastor, I know how hard that is. How humbling it is to have to go to someone that you have wronged and say, I have wronged you. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. But just know that as the Spirit of the Lord works on you, that is the very thing that you will want to do, to be reconciled. Finally, God's salvation produces an irrepressible generosity. Generosity. Zacchaeus gave away half of his possessions, restored 400% of what he had gained by sin. And this is because grace generates generosity. This is what it does. After receiving such riches from the Lord, our approach to all other people and, and to our possessions, it just totally changes. We become generous. You just heard this in Glenn's testimony, that after having received the riches of grace, he understands his life to have been in borrowed time, to spend his life doing the work of the Lord. We are living on bonus. We're not funnels of, we're not buckets of God's blessing. We're meant to be funnels of God's blessing. The blessing of God is never meant to stop with us, but to flow through us out to others. So Zacchaeus 
leveraged his life for the purposes of God, those who have received the same, unmerited, unsolicited, and unexpected grace, will do the same. Let us obey the commands of God. Rejoice in the gospel of God. Conform ourselves to the measure and stature of the Son of God. And leverage our whole lives for the glory of God in the seeking of the lost. If you're a member here at PBC, I want you to be reminded that we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Which means that you, dear Christian, are a minister of the gospel as much as I am. And that you have a ministry, a gospel ministry in this church. How can you get involved in proclaiming the excellencies of Christ here at PBC? By this time next year, by December 31, 2024, how might you want to look back over the previous year and see how the Lord used you and your talents, treasures, your time to proclaim Christ and to care for others and to encourage them? What ministry in this church could be blessed by your helping hand? What member of this church would be encouraged by you welcoming them into your home for dinner? What member would be edified by a one-on-one -on -one Bible study that you initiate? Could you start getting training to become a biblical counselor and to help counseling others in this church? Could you become equipped to become a deacon of care, to begin meeting the needs of the people? in this church? Could you, become could you come and join us in the prayer meetings on Tuesday nights to pray for the needs of this church? Could you participate in evangelistic outreaches through this church? Could you take an unbelieving co-worker to lunch and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you minister to others by discipling others, by coming alongside them, encouraging them in the Lord and with the word of the Lord, by helping out someone get groceries who can't get around so well, by seeing someone all alone, by seeing someone in need and moving toward them. This is what Jesus has done for us. He came to us. And so we go to others. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and you who have been found get to join Him in seeking others for His glory. Let's pray. Father and God of all glory, You sent Your Son to seek and save us when we were lost. And we understand that we are undeserving of such grace. And so, Lord, we thank You and we praise You that You have set Your saving love upon us. But yet, Lord, we confess that the joy of your salvation has often waned and that we built our lives around other things, letting the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out the seed of your word. And we have not leveraged our lives for your glory. So please forgive us and enable us by your Holy Spirit to obey all of your commands 
and to rejoice in your Son and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to be generous with all that you've provided. May we go into 2024 with a renewed sense of purpose, that we are living on borrowed time, and to redeem that time for the glory of Christ. Let us serve faithfully and joyfully, and with heaven always on our mind. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our services, we go to the Lord's Word and we seek an assurance of pardon for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. The Lord often gives us words of of assurance that having trusted in Jesus, we are forgiven. And today's assurance comes from 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, where Paul wrote, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Amen.